I got candy bars. You see, I'm a college teacher, so I'm big on review. I'm big on bribes, too. I'm big on review because I'm a college teacher. We have several things we got to do at the beginning, but uh, you can maybe start going over your notes if you wrote some notes or whatever, And because uh, we're going to hand out some candy bars. But before we do that, several things. Uh, hey, got to practice our greetings. And I have a brand new greeting for you this morning, all right? So let's everybody stand up to do our greetings, okay? Let's do our greetings, okay? Let's start off in honor of the group that's been here this week. Maranatha! Maranatha. And it means Loey cometh. So when you, next time, at, uh, when you see your friends on Sunday, Maranatha, okay? Shalom! Shalom. He is risen! Don't you love that one? I just, if the church just greeted one another with that, okay? But guys, I forgot, we're going to practice it right now. I forgot the greatest greeting the early church had. Yeah, they said Maranatha. Yeah, they said Shalom. Yeah, he is risen. But their greatest one was greet one another with a holy kiss. No. <laughs> All right, you can be seated. You can be seated. That probably would not have been the best one during COVID, okay? Greet one another with a holy kiss. All right. Listen, I learned a long time ago, you thank people for the things that they do. So there's some groups we need to thank. First of all, when you get home, thank mom and dad. Mom, dad, thanks for letting me go. Thanks for paying for whatever they did. Thank mom and dad. That really means, you know, you get home and the first thing you do is thank mom and dad. I'll tell you right now, they're going to go like, okay, I need to pay for them to go to camp this summer too. You know, I mean, that's just the greatest thing in the world. Okay, number two, we need to thank your sponsors. Now, let me tell you something. I believe, first of all, that the most unrecognized servants of God in a church are the uh, nursery records. Okay, they're like number two. They're like number two, unrecognized. But do you know the most unrecognized group in any church? It's only one person. But they, I'm telling you, in any church you take, they never recognize them. Yet the youth pastor, well, youth pastor probably number three. I'll tell you number one, the youth pastor's wife. The youth pastor's wife. Now... I was married to a youth pastor's wife for seven years. And I'm just going to tell you something. She was the greatest thing in my life. The schedule I did, what I had, she's raising a bunch of little babes, little bambinos, you know, and she's doing everything. She's cooking for the, you know, and I just want to stop. Do we have any youth pastor's wives that are here? Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Let's give them a hand. We got a lot. That's really good. That's a lot. That's really cool. That's really good. And I did not know that, but that's really good. Then we got youth pastors, bus drivers, van drivers, sponsors, everyone. And again, youth pastors, wives. All, if you are a sponsor, if you are a chaperone, if you are a pastor, by the way, I know we have some pastors here as well. Every one of you stand up for just a moment. Way to go. Let's give them a hand. Thank you for what you do. I'm actually, thank you, thank you. 
Let me tell you something. I'm actually going to talk a little bit about them today in my message and what they get to do and praise the Lord for that. Hey, I don't know about you. One of my top 10 places in all of the world, and I've been around the block, is definitely a place called Kobiak. I love this place. I, and there's so many reasons. It's a beautiful location. The facilities are amazing and all of those things. But I'll tell you, the reason why I love this camp is the staff. I love the staff. And I got to tell you, they make a lot of fun of this director. But I think he's one of, if not the best camp director in America. I want to tell you, for a lot of reasons. But let me tell you one. I don't know if I go to another camp that the camp director never misses the messages in chapel or the meetings. And I will tell you, Aaron Wilson is in every meeting that, at least that I preach. I don't know if you do it for all the preachers, but at least. Uh, so let's take a moment and thank all the staff and director Aaron Wilson for a great job. Well done. Amen. Okay, then before we get to review, a little correction. All right, that, that guy is telling you, this was so good. First of all, I had a young lady, a student, came up to me afterwards and corrected me about a part of the story of Esther, and she was absolutely right, and I was absolutely wrong in what I said. And I said, hey, listen, man, I'm taking care of that tomorrow because we're talking about God's word. I don't care about, you know, my, I messed up, I messed up. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I got to tell you, I'm not going to embarrass her. Don't worry. Wherever she is, I'm not going to say her name. I'm not going to embarrass her. But I got to tell you something else. The way that she approached authority was like two thumbs up. There was great. It wasn't a, like an art. She didn't want to do it. But she, I think, said, you know what? Because it's the word of God, I need to correct the speaker. I need to go to him, and I need to tell him that he was wrong, and he, she was right, and I was wrong. I want to correct that. I want to ask you to forgive me. I said last night that the king named Esther Esther. That is not true, and I got to tell you, she's right on. That's a big point. Mordecai gave her the name Esther so that they wouldn't know that she was a Jew, and see, that was a really important point because Mordecai knew that if Esther gets in there, God could use who she is one day. So it was Mordecai that gave Esther the name Esther instead of her name was Hadassah and said, you're going to be called Esther and gave her one of the Babylonian names so that she would. So I want to tell you, I ask you to forgive me because I was wrong. And I just really praise the Lord for the spirit of that young lady. And I, but you know what? Because God's word is more important than any preacher. Let me tell you something. And I just really appreciate that. And I want to thank all of you guys for being like the greatest group listeners ever. But we're going to find out if you really are the greatest group. So let's review a little bit. All right. So here we go. For a candy bar. For a candy bar. I gave three lies on the very first night here. Can anyone stand and give me the three lies? Yes, sir. Wow, that is great. Come on down, get a candy bar. Come on down, get a candy bar. Not bad. Really good. Can anyone stand for another candy bar and tell me the two lies 
about salvation that the Satan throws. Okay, in the purple, yes. That is correct. Come on down. Good job. Okay. Someone besides the young man last night or yesterday. Someone besides the young man yesterday. Can anyone stand and give me what F-E-A-R? Whoa, he's already up, man. My Spartan, Sparky. Go ahead. I'm going to let you have that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, evaluate is a really good word for it is good, probably better than exam. Keep going. Okay, yes. And I'm going to give you your candy bar. It's attack the fear. The fear may not be a sin, but you attack your fear head on. Come on down. Come on down. Good job. Good job. Okay, I'm impressed. All right, real quick, Joseph's firstborn son, whoa, no, you already got one, didn't you? You already got one. I think you were next, yeah. Manasseh, come on down. Do you remember what Manasseh meant? Do you remember what it meant? It's okay, you got your candy bar. It's not going to be, I, can't, I got too many more things. You, you, I, I, I can't. You remember what it meant? What did his name meant? What does the name mean? Forget the toil of the past. Come on up. Come on up. Okay, now I got one left. So here we go. Um, okay, I'm not going to go ahead. We got, by, by the way, those are my two fingers. Okay, there we go. Last one. Oh, man. Oh, man. I got so many questions yet. All right, here we go. Can anyone stand and give me three reasons? I gave five. Whoa. I, okay. No, no, no. I three reasons I gave five why you should not go back to a bad past. Yes. That's a tough one. I don't know. Yes, in the back. Go ahead. No, I know you can use notes today. Amen. Hey, listen, she's going to write notes like that. I'm giving her a kick. Come on down. Amen. Good job. All right. Take your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. So, there was one point that we didn't cover the first night, and the guy already gave an answer to it. It was the lies of Satan. There's lies about sin. There's lies about salvation. And there's lies about service. So we're going to look at that one today. I thought that would make a good closer. It's really positive. And I just thought, man, let them leave believing that serving the Lord is like the greatest thing you will ever do. Be meat for the master's use. What a good way to go home from a snow camp. Okay, Matthew chapter 9. 
verse 35 through 38, and uh, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll we'll get started. I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna like the message. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter nine, verse. By the way, dude, I do thank all of you uh, for just being a great group to speak to. And you know, again, you know, uh, we didn't make you laugh, we didn't make you cry, we equipped you. You got stuff that you can go home. You got to learn how to deal with your past. You got to learn how to deal with your fears. Um, you got to learn uh, Satan's lies and the way to fight those. Some of you got assurance of salvation. It'll help you the rest of your life. And so um, I hope we've been a help. I hope God's word's been a help to you uh, as well. And you know what? Uh, by the way, let's all together. There are three steps of maturity. That was, I had another candy bar. I want to get. But the three steps of maturity. Number one, you got to take proof. Number two, you got to take and number three, you got to take, oh, good job, good job. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. By the way, I think some guys and some girls last night made a decision. You know what? I'm still going to have, I'm still going to be a teenager. And you know what? I'm going to start taking reproof. I'm going to start taking my responsibility for my life. By the way, that thing on generational sin is huge. Because I'm telling you, we've all been passed down generational sin. And you got to stop blaming your parents. You got to stop blaming your culture and your society and take responsibility for your own life. And God will use you in a mighty way. And then we need a generation that will take some risks, come out of their comfort zone. Woo, 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 woo. Here we go. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with everyone together. What's the next word? Yeah, well, we could talk about that today. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples. Now, this is really cool. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Let me give you one of the most disturbing statistics I've ever heard. Today in America, there are less college students training for the ministry than in 1920. There were 3 billion people on planet Earth in 1920. There's 7.5, 7.8 billion people on planet Earth today. And there are less people training right now for ministry. Now, either God isn't calling or young people are not listening. And I want to share with you today a lie. I mentioned these three words the other day, but I want, to, uh, I want, I want you to understand the lie. That it is a lie that if you serve the Lord, you will have no fun, no friends, and no future. The greatest thing I ever did was make a decision to serve the Lord. It has brought more joy, more satisfaction, and more relationship and intimacy with my Savior than ever. Young people, I want to tell you, I understand. And you know what? You serve the Lord no matter where you are. Um, yeah, I don't have time to go. But you serve the Lord, whatever you go in and do. But I do believe that some of you need to be challenged. Look what it says. 
The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore, this is the only prayer request Jesus Christ ever gave. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Would you do something with me right now? Would you pray with me what Jesus asked to pray for? Would you pray the one prayer request that Jesus gave when he was on this earth, that we would pray uh, therefore to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. We don't need them Shetler called. We don't need them church called. We need them God called. But I got to tell you, I think God's doing a lot more calling. I'm just not sure we're picking it up and we're listening. And I want to talk to you about these lies because I'm telling you, serving the Lord is the greatest thing I have ever done in my entire life. Being used by God is such a joy. Father, we want to pray right now together. I don't know, there's 275 of us in here, 260, whatever it is, Father. We're all joined together in agreement. And you say that which is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. I think we can all agree with what the Lord asked to pray for. So right now, as a body of believers, we pray, would you send forth laborers into your harvest? I'd like to make it specific and pray that there would be laborers sent out of the group of young people that are here. Father, I pray that out of this group of teenagers that came to snow camp 2022, you would send forth laborers into your harvest. And it wouldn't be, oh God, all right, I'll give up. But it would be rather, oh God, if I could do anything for you, I'd volunteer. Lord, I pray that there will be laborers that will be sent. And if this message can be used by the Spirit of God to help these teenagers See that serving you with all they have, all the time for the rest of their life, there will never be a higher calling. Father, some of them may have political positions one day. Some of them may be in law enforcement. Oh, some may go into the military. All worthy professions. But Father, I can't think of anything that is higher than being a missionary on a foreign field, being a Christian school teacher, to be able to, God, stand behind the pulpit every Sunday and give out your word. To, Lord, to be in service for you, whatever that means and whatever that looks like for men and women that are here. I think some really made some decisions to grow up last night. Now, Lord, we challenge them to serve the Lord with gladness. And, God, I pray that these young people would take up the mantle and say, God, if I'm an answer to that prayer at, at snow camp, God, it'll be the greatest thing in the world to be a laborer in your harvest. Lord, I don't know for sure what you have for me, but I know I want to serve you with all of my heart. I pray that'll happen today, that we would go back on our vans, our buses, wanting to serve you right where we are right now as a teenager. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said... I was a sophomore in college. I don't know, I was about 19, I guess. And I was walking across campus with a guy named Jason Shelton. I like Jason. He just had a lot of life to him. And we're walking across, and he said to me, he said, he called me Jimmy. He said, Jimmy, what are you going to do the rest of your life? Well, I'm 19, okay? 
I'm not even sure what I'm going to eat, you know, tomorrow. You know, I don't know what I'm going to wear. I don't know anything. You know, I'm a sophomore in college. And I said to Jason, Jason, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do the rest of my life. What he does next is so cool. He jumps out in front of me and he says, Jimmy, you know what I'm going to do the rest of my life? I'm going to spend the rest of my life with the two things that are eternal. I'm going to spend the rest of my life on the word of God and the souls of men. And I went, that's cool. I got back to my dorms. I went to the prayer room all by myself. I knelt down and I prayed. I don't remember exactly what I prayed, but I know what I prayed. And I said, Lord, the rest of my life, if you would allow me, I would like to spend the rest of my life. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what I'm going to be. But I'd like to spend the rest of my life on the souls of men and the word of God. And I got to tell you, the Lord's never taken that back. The Lord said, go for it, Jim. Delight thyself also to the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Brother Shetler, do you have a service that you know that you were called to preach? No. I do not. I know a lot of people do. I know a lot of men that know the day that they got they were called to preach. I do not, guys. You, you, you mean to say you don't know that you're called to preach? Well, I believe this is the gifting that God has given me, but I'm going to tell you. I don't have a service of that. I'll tell you what I did. I had a desire, and I have followed that desire. I have wanted to serve God all of my life since I got back to that prayer room. I said, Lord, I want to spend the rest of my life with the souls of men and, and, and the word of God. And God says, go for it, Jim. And God has opened the doors amazingly. Young people, I want to talk to you about a lie. Because I think Satan has given you a lie today. That you know what? I you know what I I I just not sure that I'm called to ministry. I, I, I'm just not sure that God's called me to full-time service. Well, first of all, let me say this. If you're saved, you need to be in full-time service. I don't care what that means. I, I went to the dentist the other day, Elias Gonzalez, graduate of Pensacola. He uh went to medical school. Afterwards, he got into the art. He got his uh, degree from Baylor, and then went into the Navy, and uh, was a uh, a Navy dentist. And now he's out. He's uh, doing dentist work now in Pensacola, Florida. And guess what? I got a bunch of problems. I got I got to get a root canal, and I got this and that and whatever. And he's going through everything. And he says to me, he says, Pastor, I got some bad news for you, and I got some good news for you. And I said, what's the bad news? He said, hey, got a couple cavities. I'm going to have to do a root canal on the back molar. And he mentioned a couple other things. And my dollar signs are going like, this has got to be over $5,000 to $10,000 worth of stuff. And he said, I got some good news. He said, Pastor, you blessed me and Alini when we were, when we were going to college, when we were in high school at Pensacola Christian. You blessed us. You've been our pastor. I married them. You married us. He said, all of it will be taken care of. And I said, by who? <laughs> and he said, he said, Pastor, I've already talked to my other, uh, 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 Kim Jordan, and, and we already talked about it, and we want to take care of all your dental work. And he said, as long as you live in Pensacola, I want to take care of all your dental work. Okay, I call that a minister of God, okay? I mean, guys. That was, you know what? He's using his dentistry for the cause of Christ. 
He served in the military, which is really cool too. Wherever you go, bud, you serve the Lord. But I do believe that there are young people in this room that could go do something incredible for God. And you say, I don't think it's in me. Well, of course it's not. That's where God gets the glory for it all. So I want you to see two things, and we're on our way home. The purpose of serving and the prize in serving. I want to talk to you about two things. Number one, I want to talk to you about the purpose in serving. And the purpose in serving, look what it says in verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with everyone together. The purpose of serving is the value of a soul. The value of a soul. Young person, I want to share this with you. Every soul has an eternal value to it. I don't care what gender they are. I don't care what skin they're covered with. They have a value to God. I don't care where they are from the in the world. They have a value. And God has so many times showed me this and given me illustration of this. But there's none as powerful as several years ago. And it is about 15, about 17 years ago, I went on a missions trip to Africa. And on that missions trip to Africa, we were down in South Africa for a week. And then we went to Kenya. In Kenya, I did a Sunday through Wednesday meeting with a church called Thika Road Baptist Church in Nairobi, Kenya, Africa. The pastor there was Pastor Julius. And wow, did we just have an amazing meeting from Sunday to Wednesday night. It was Thursday and we were eating lunch just a couple days before we'd be going back to the States. While we were eating lunch, the phone rang in the kitchen. Pastor Julius went in and he picked up the phone. I could hear him talking. He came back in and he says, Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim, the phone is for you. Boy, I don't think I know anybody in Kenya. So I, I go and I said, Hello? Hey, were you going to call me or not? Uh, hello, this is Jim Scheller. Yeah, I know who this is. Do you know who this is? Yeah, like, uh, I really don't. I'm sorry, sir. Sir? And I'm listening to this, and I'm going like, you know, that voice sounds familiar. And, and I go like, uh, help me a little bit. Yeah, like college? And I'm going, oh, I think I know who this is. Or at least I, I'm recognizing the voice. And I said, help me out. Hey, like one of your best friends? And I went, John. Yeah, John! Were you going to come and see me? Well, you got that orphanage. Yeah, I got that orphanage. You were going to leave and never come see me, weren't you? I talked to Pastor Julius. You're coming out to see the orphanage tomorrow. I said, okay, that's cool, man. That's great. So the next day, John comes, picks me and the guy I was traveling with, Brian, uh, picks us up in a Land Rover, and he picks it, and we drive two and a half hours. Now, I gotta tell you, we were doing so many services, we really didn't get to see Africa much. Well, his orphanage is at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro. Now, Kilimanjaro is like the coolest mountain because it's not a mountain range. There's just one big, huge, obviously a volcano, but it's huge and it's high and it's beautiful. It's got that snow cap on it. It just stands out by itself. And as we're driving out there, it's the first time in the two weeks we were there, we got to see some giraffes. We saw some elephants. And I'm going like, all right, this is like the coolest thing. While we're doing all this, he's telling us about the orphanage. I'm not paying that much attention to it, you know, because I'm going like, this is like a safari. So I'm enjoying everything, and we're driving out. 
and we start getting close to the compound. He's got six huts, and I can see the roofs of the six huts over the top of the tall grass. And we're going down this two track, and we're getting closer. And as we start getting closer, we're a couple hundred yards away. I start seeing the orphans come out. He's got 18 of them. They're called street children. Little did I realize what that meant. They were street children that he picked up to bring to the orphanage. As we started getting closer, I saw the kids coming out. And you could tell some of them were running. But some of them, you could tell, had crutches. Some of them almost looked like they were crawling. And as we got a little closer, you saw that some were maimed. I mean, some didn't have arms. Some didn't have legs. And I went like, wow. And as we got about 50 yards, 25 yards away, you could start seeing the faces of these orphans. Now, all I can tell you is you've got to believe what I'm saying. As we drove up and I saw the children, they ranged from age of about four or five. Actually, yeah, about five to about age 16. There was 18 of them. As we drove up, they were without a doubt the most grotesque children I had ever seen in my life. There had to be four or five of them that had a cleft palate that the surgery was done so wrong, and they just had huge scars around their mouth. There was one child that did not have an ear. There were two children that did not have noses. There was a kid that did not have an eye. And I could relate to that because my son Luke was born without an eye. And I can relate to that. And I am looking at the most disfigured children I have ever seen in my entire life. If one of those 18 kids were at snow camp, there is no question when you were in your cabin, you would have said, did you see that? Oh, yeah. I've never seen a girl look like I've never seen a guy. There's the most dis. Everyone was like that. I went like, John, what is this? What have I said for the last two and a half hours, Jim? They're street kids. They were picked up from the streets. Jim, I don't think he understood. They were discarded like trash. Their parents, after the surgery or whatever happened to them, they just got rid of them. They were literally on the street, and we just pick them up. I went, oh, I've never seen it like this. That night, I could not eat. I'll tell you why. Watching them try to eat, trying to put food, and just, oh, it was the grossest thing I ever saw. I couldn't even eat. After that, we had like a Bible time, and, and uh, John and Wendy began, got their guitars out. They started to play their guitars, and the kids began to sing. This is the most beautiful music I ever heard. I closed my eyes. I couldn't look at the kids, but I never heard as a deer ever done better. It completed me. Wow. Those kids knew how to sing and they sang from their heart and their spirit. I'm going, this is just amazing. At the end of that, the kids had to go back to their huts for the night. And John came over and said, hey, Jim, before you leave tomorrow morning, I need you to speak in chapel. You're going to speak in the morning chapel to the kids. I looked at John and I said, hey, John, I'm not sure I can do it. No, no, no. You're going you're gonna to speak to the kids tomorrow before you leave for chapel. You're going to do the morning chapel. I said, John, I'm not sure I can do it. And he said, why? Because of the way the kids look? And I said, yeah. 
I don't know if I can stand up in front of them. And, no, you're speaking tomorrow morning in chapel. I went to bed that night going, Lord, what in the world do I say? What in the world do I say to these kids? Well, I woke up in the middle of the night and God gave me something. And I didn't know if it was God or not. But I just said, you know what? I'm going to try something. I'll have a plan B if it doesn't work. But here goes. So that morning we came in and I got to tell you, we came in a little hut that was probably about the size of this platform. You cut off this little thing right there, and it was probably about this side. And, I, and they had little benches, and they all come in, and they get up on their benches. And I had just never seen kids look the way that they look. And they get up on their benches, and they're all looking at me. And I said, good morning, boys and girls. Good morning, Pastor Jim. I said, boys and girls, I'm so excited this morning in speaking in chapel. You know what I forgot? No, Pastor Jim, what did you? I forgot to eat breakfast this morning. But boys and girls, I have a banana. Do you mind if I eat my banana before I speak to you? And they said, no, Brother Jim, eat the banana. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. But I took the banana. It was all bruised. It looked just about like this. And it was all blackened. And I took the banana and I began to put it in my mouth like I had never eaten a banana before. And I began to put it in my mouth, and I didn't know what was going to happen, but it was unbelievable what happens next. As I begin to put the banana in my mouth, the kids start screaming, No, Pastor Jim! No, Pastor Jim! I said, No, no, let me just have my banana. And they went, No, Pastor Jim! Outside! No good! I said, What are you talking about? you got to peel the banana! I said, what do you mean? Like, I've never eaten a banana before, you know. And I go, I don't know what you're talking about. Brother Jim, outside, no good. Inside, good. And I said, I don't know what you guys are. Oh. 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 Mm. Oh, boy. Mm. Boy and girl. You are so right. Boys and girls, outside, no good. Inside, real good. And then I looked at those kids, and they know what they look like. And I said, boys and girls, you're outside, not so good. But boys and girls, you're inside, real good. Boys and girls, Jesus didn't come to say this. Jesus came to save this. And boys and girls, can I tell you something? You all are very special. Boy, those kids are locked and loaded. They're looking at me for the very first time and realizing, whoa, this doesn't matter. This is what matters. By the way, our country could sure use this. Guys, it ain't the outside that matters. It's what you are. And you were created in the image of God. I got in that Land Rover, went back to Nairobi that day. And I kind of made a vow to God. God, I will never be the same. And I will never look at people the same way. Because it's not the outside that matters, teenagers. It's the inside that is eternal. And every person has value. Every person has worth. And young person, you know why I serve the Lord? I serve the Lord, and I want so badly to reach people because every soul 
has eternal value and worth. You know what? You can spend your life doing a bunch of things, but I've decided to spend my life on the value of a soul. Every one of you guys have value and worth. Don't you leave today and go like, well, if they go serve the Lord, that'd be, but you know, it's just me. I want you to know, young person, you are valuable to God and he died for you. He didn't die for the outside. He died for the inside that is eternal. And I just want to tell you, man, the purpose of serving is the value of a soul. But I want to talk to you about this. God, I got two illustrations. I got to only do one. And so I'm going to do this one, I guess. The prize in serving. I think the prize in serving the Lord is the fellowship you get with Jesus Christ. Now, anyone can have Jesus. And anyone can have a relationship with the Lord. But I want you to know that when you serve the Lord, there is something that you get in serving God with all of your heart in an intimate relationship with God. Paul said this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. There is something about ministering that you get a relationship with God like no other. Okay, so take your Bibles. You got to look this up. I wasn't sure what illustration I was going to do, so I'm doing this one, okay? Take your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13. So I teach this class in college called the book of Joshua. I love it. I love all my classes. But I love the book of Joshua because I think it was made for college students. The victorious Christian life. It's so cool. Now, Joshua chapters 1 through 10 are some of the most exciting passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. You have, in chapters 1 through 10, them obeying the Lord and overcoming the land, the sun standing still, Jericho falling down, all kinds of victories, all kinds of battles. But then you come to like chapter 11 and 12 and chapter 13. And now it's occupying the land. It's not They've overcome it. Now they got to occupy it. Can I tell you that the Christian life isn't all overcoming? It's a lot of just maintaining. And the occupying isn't the fun part of the Christian life. Seeing the sun stand still, Jericho's walls coming down, that's cool. But now the rest of the chapters of this book is occupying. But my favorite verse in the, in the book of Joshua, no, no, I think I have this I'm telling this right now. My favorite, it doesn't really have that much to do with the book of Joshua. It's not the most important verse in the book, but it's my favorite verse in the book, okay? Joshua chapter 13. So let me tell you what's happening in Joshua chapter 13. All of the property of Israel is being divided up amongst the tribe. Oh, I got a question for you. How many tribes of Israel are there? Everyone together, how many tribes? Twelve. No. Who said that? There's how many tribes? There's 13 tribes. Have you ever heard of the tribe of Joseph? But you have heard of the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph got two in there, okay? He doesn't get his, but he got his two kids in there. There's 13 tribes. Now, everyone together, how many rocks are built are put on the altar after they and the, the memorial that they build? How many rocks are put on the altar? Everyone together? 
How many rocks are put on the altar? Hey, guys, everyone together. How many tribes are there? How many rocks put on the on the memorial? Twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets worse. How many pieces of property are divided up? When they divide up the land, how many? How many? Twelve. Brother Shetler, somebody's getting ripped off. Okay, now this did not happen this way. So you don't have to come up to me afterwards and, and correct me. Okay, this did not happen this way. But this is the way I like to, they like to think about it. So they so Joshua's up in the front. Tribe of Dan, come forward. Dan comes forward. Dan, you'll have the north. You'll be up by Mount Hermon. You'll be in the northern part of Israel. Tribe of Naphtali, come forward. Tribe of Naphtali, come. You'll be over here. Simeon over here. Benjamin here. Judah here. And all these tribes are getting divided up. And there's one group of people going like, okay, so there's no property in the north. Okay, that takes care of the east. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That takes care of the east. Okay, there's no more property on the west along the Mediterranean. And that's the south. There's no more property. And there's one tribe going like, yeah, what, what do we get, the Dead Sea? What do we get? There's one tribe that's getting left out. They didn't get to put a, they didn't get to put a rock on the memorial. They don't get a piece of property. There's one tribe being left out. Anyone know what tribe that is? Levi. The tribe of Levi. They didn't get property. They got a person. Look with me in Joshua chapter 13, because this is my favorite verse in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 13, look at verse 33, the very last verse. But unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not an inheritance. Now, oh, man, what did they do wrong? No, 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 no. That's not it at all. Look at the rest of the verse. My favorite verse in Joshua. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. Guys, Levi didn't get property. Levi got the person of God. Now, I want to tell you this. If you decide to live the rest of your life for the Lord Jesus Christ, right. it may not be about money. It may not be about the big pickup truck. It may not be about the beautiful house. It may not be about what you think, but I'm going to tell you this. Young people, Levi got the best deal. Levi got the best inheritance because the prize of serving the Lord is not a possession. It's not a piece of property. The prize of serving the Lord is intimacy with God and living for him. And I want to tell you this. So I want to tell you about another missions trip, very different from the one in Africa. I took a missions trip with a guy named Gary to Scotland. We were there for 10 days. We never saw the sunshine. It was in January, and every day, I think at night the stars came out a couple of times, but in 10 days I never saw the sun. In my entire life, I've never lived 10 days without seeing this. I'm a sun person. I, that's one thing I love about California. I see the sun a lot out there. It never rains out there, but it, I love it. I like the sun. But anyways, 
I'm in, I'm in Scotland for 10 days, never saw the sun. And I got to tell you, the people were cold. Ooh, not like Africa and all, and all the other places I've gone, South America or whatever. It was a tough mission field. The missionary there was a guy named Wayne Searson. And Wayne said to me and Gary one day, he said, hey, uh, we were seen in Tweed Bank just outside Glasgow. He said, Jim, I'd like you to take you to the castle in Edinburgh to see the castle. I said, let's go, man. That sounds cool. So we're driving to Edinburgh. And it was, of course, it was kind of a rainy, cloudy day. And we're driving. And as we're driving, we're coming past all these fields. I want to tell you something about the story. Very rarely will I ever tell this story to a group of teenagers. I usually tell this story to pastors. But I believe there's some of you today that God may be speaking to. So, so we're driving. And as we're driving, um, you, know, you see all the green. Everything is green. There's no doubt about that. It's all green. And there's, there's sheep out there in the fields. That's kind of cool. But as we were driving, there's a shepherd out there. And the shepherd is out there with seven little Shelties, the sheep dogs. They, they, they consider the Sheltie the smartest of all dogs. And, they, and, they, and they, they're like, they're the best sheep. And I said, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. I got to talk to that shepherd. What's wrong? What's wrong? I said, I got to go talk to that shepherd. I just read a book in the States called Lessons from a Sheepdog by Philip Keller. And what the whole book is, a small book, but the whole book is about pastoring is like being a sheepdog. And it was a cool book, but I want to make sure it was all accurate, you know. So Wayne pulls over, Gary gets out, he's taking pictures of everything, and I go over. Now, we're at a, we're at a stone fence, and it drops down about six, nine feet. And out there is the shepherd with the shelters. Oh, I cry out. I said, shepherd, shepherd. And the shepherd turns around, and as soon as the shepherd turns around, I went, uh-oh. It's a woman. And I don't know, shepherdess? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I said, shepherd. And she comes over, and she's got these seven Shelties following her. And I said, ma'am, I'm from America. <laughs> As if I had to say that. You know, it's like another American. I said, ma'am, and I'm a pastor in America. And I just read a book that pastoring was like a, a, a Sheltie, a sheepdog. Could I ask you a few things? And, you know, she agreed. So I began to tell her about some of the things in the book, and she agreed. She gave affirmative everything I said, and she even added on to it. Everything I said, she said, yeah, that's true. That you know, da, 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 da. And uh, so anyways, uh, so we're going, and I, I go through everything. I said, ma'am, thank you so much for your time. And I start walking away. And when I start walking away, she cries out, Reverend, Reverend. And I, and I come back, I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you didn't ask me the most important of all the questions. And I said, well, what's that? She said, you failed to ask me what the prize for the Sheltie is. I said, what the what? The prize for the Sheltie. You didn't ask me what the prize for the Sheltie is. And I said, no, ma'am, I didn't. What's the prize for the Sheltie? She said, oh, at the end of the day, we take the sheep and we put the sheep inside the fold. But ah, the Sheltie. The Sheltie gets to come into the house with the shepherd. And the Sheltie stays in the house with the shepherd. The sheep are in the fold. But the Sheltie stays with the shepherd. And that's their prize. They live to be by the shepherd. And I said, thanks, ma'am. And I went off. We start to continue driving to Edinburgh. And I'm thinking about what she said. Now, I know you guys are a bunch of 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. So it ain't going to mean this much to you. 
as it did to me that day. But I started thinking. All the times in ministry that I got disappointed. All the times in ministry that I got, you know, like, man, I want to quit. All the times in ministry where I said, this isn't worth it. And every time, it's because I put the sheep as the prize instead of the shepherd. But you know what? My shepherd has never failed me. And I want to tell you something, young people. I didn't understand the ramifications when Jason said, I want to spend the rest of my time on the word of God and the souls of men. And I went back and I said, God, that's what I want to do. An evangelist named Jerry Savinsky came shortly thereafter. And I don't remember what he preached, but I remember coming down to the altar after Jerry Savinsky preached. And I knelt down and I said, God, I don't know what you're going to do with me, but I want to serve you with all of my heart and with all of my life for all that I can. And I want to tell you, young people, I am not ashamed to tell you this. Serving the Lord is the greatest thing you will ever do in your life. It brings you with a relationship with God that's unlike anything else. I want to tell you that serving Christ is worth it. He is worthy of everything you ever do for him. I want to tell you, there is a value of a soul. And you ought to serve the Lord because these are eternal souls. But I want to tell you something else. When you decide to say, dear God, I want to spend my life serving you. I don't know what that looks like right now at 15. I have no idea what that means at 16. But I can tell you, God, I want to serve you wherever, however, whenever, whatever. God, I want to serve you with all of my heart, all of my life. Now you hear this. The just man falleth seven times. I'm not going to tell you you're never going to have some bad days. I'm not going to tell you that I've been this perfect little servant now for 42 years. No. But I am going to tell you this, that one of the greatest decisions I ever made, and I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know it meant pastoring. I didn't know it meant a dean of students. I didn't know it meant a vice president of a college. I didn't know it meant a, a, a conference speaker. I didn't know what it meant. But I knew I wanted to serve the Lord with all of my life uh, for the rest of my days. And I felt that he was worthy to do that for. So I'm going to ask you right now. If you would be willing to say, dear God, I want to serve you with my life for the rest of my life. I, this is what I want from, I don't know what it looks like, God. I don't know where it's going to lead. And God, you want to take me to, to physical therapy, take me. But God, I want you to know that I want to serve you with all of my heart, wherever it takes. God, I'm not saying that I'm being called to the mission field today, but I am saying I'm willing to go to the mission field today. I'm not saying I've been called a pastor. I'm not saying I've been called to be a Christian school teacher, but I'm saying I'm willing to. God, I'm not saying that I'm called to be a pastor's wife today, but I am saying I'm willing to. And God, one thing is determined today. I want to serve you with the rest of my life. I want to give you my life and I want to serve you the rest of my life for you. If that is your desire, can you get up from your seat right now and come up on this platform in front of your peers and say, hey, listen, I don't know what it looks like right now, but I want to be accountable to you, my youth group and my church. And I want to tell you, I want to serve the Lord the rest of my life. I don't know what that looks like, but God knows I'm willing to do that. 
because the value of a soul and because of my relationship that I want with my Lord, I want to tell this group, I want to serve God for the rest of my life. If that's true, could you come on up here? Is there anyone like that that wants to do that? I want to come right up on the platform. Don't be ashamed. Brother Shetler, I want to serve the Lord the rest of my life for God. I don't know what that looks like right now. I have no idea what that means, but I want my peers to pray for me. I want my pastors. I want my pastor's wives. I want people to pray for me. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask, a, 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 I don't have any names. I'm going to ask a couple youth pastors to come on up and lead in prayer. And if there's a couple pastors that maybe would come, I'd like maybe have three or four people pray. So if you're a pastor or a youth pastor here, would you come on up? And uh, I'd like to have about three of you at least just have a word of prayer for these young people. Come on around the front. Come on around the front. If you're a pastor or a youth pastor, if you come up alongside of me up here, and let's just pray for just a moment. Here, I got my mic right here. Oh, there you go, man. Yeah, let's have these. This is let's have these four. These four right here. Yeah, you come on. You lead us off, and just pray for these young people that they would serve the Lord. Guys, I'm just telling you, it is the greatest thing in the world to do is to serve God, and He is worthy. He is worthy to give your life to. And I got to tell you, the value of a soul is worth the reach. Who knows what God will do with you? He may put you in a factory. He may. Well, then serve God with everything you got in that factory. But I will tell you this. I got to believe that some of you are going to be called into the ministry. And don't be afraid of that. That is the greatest thing you will ever do for God. Pastor, you go ahead and start. Father, we thank you so much for willing to open their heart to what you have for them. And I pray that yeah. you would um, that you would use this decision, that you'd use this, this moment uh, to make a difference in their lives. Amen. That they would uh, they would remember a factory or, or in the police or in the military or if that's in full-time ministry, that they would remember uh, this service as a time when they said, Father, wherever I'm at, Amen. I want to serve you. Amen. And I pray I for the people in each one of these groups. I pray for the youth pastors and the, the pastor's wives that we would be an example to them. We would edify them and lift them up and give them opportunities to serve now. Amen. Give them opportunities to grow that we would disciple them, give them your word, and, and equip them with the, the things that they need to follow this through. Amen. That they would not stop here. They would not stop this week, but that they would continue this on and they would grow in each one of our youth groups. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, I just come before you uh, this morning and I pray for these young people. I don't know what you're going to do with them. But I know that these are the future. And Satan has taken so many of our young people. Lord, I pray that today will be a, a landmark in their lives that they can look back to. And Lord, I just pray for the resolve after we leave camp that 
Satan will not steal away this seed, but Lord, that you will just root this deep into their hearts. And I pray that I pray that they will keep each other accountable. I pray that they can be a positive influence upon each other to to help each other grow. And God, I just pray that from this group, you will do great things. And I pray for your hand of protection upon them. And uh, Lord, I pray that I pray that today is just real for them. And thank you for your grace and mercy. And thank you for the messages leading up. And I know none of us here are perfect, and these young people aren't perfect, but we do serve a perfect God who's a lot bigger than we are. And I pray that through these young people, you will do a mighty work. Father, as we come, we come rejoicing. Rejoicing in what you have the power to take and do and the value of a life, a soul. These young people, Father, that you have brought has been no accident or or coincidence. But Father, it is such a joy to my heart to realize the next generation. We look at what we constantly hear said, where's the next generation? They're right here before us. They have taken steps like we have taken. Just simply trusting you for who you are and what you are able to take and do. And Lord, as men, as women, called and and serving in different capacity and aspects, that God, you are going to do the same thing in 20 and 30 years down the road that you've done in our lives, Lord. Father, this weekend we've been reminded our brother's done in such a way just brought the simplicity of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and what it can do. Literally can change our lives, can motivate us. God, uh, these young people will walk away today and we'll look at this time where decisions were made and we don't ever want to underestimate that. But Father, I just want to remind them as you have reminded me that you've given them the two greatest tools to serve you. And that is the written word of God and the power of prayer. So, Father, with these two, may they go forward for your honor and your glory, not because of what they're going to do. As our brother so clearly pointed out, it isn't the outside. God, it's the inside. And so these hearts that are broken, tender toward your leading are going to do mighty things and all we can all say is to God be the glory for what great things that are going to take place so no matter what we do a housewife a mom a dad a gas attendant whatever it is God help us to do it unto your glory Lord, I think as I close, I think of what you said in Psalm 19, in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, 
oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, I'm thankful for a group of teenagers that are willing to say, hey, I want to do what you have for me. Lord, they're, they're taking a risk. They don't know exactly what it is, but they're saying whatever it is, I'm willing to do it. And Lord, it, it's, it's not going to be easy. Lord, there, there's going to be difficult days. But Lord, I, I pray that they remember this decision. That though it may not be easy, I want to do what you have for me, Lord. And Lord, I pray that as they do serve you, and, and serving you starts today. It starts on the way home. It starts uh, at church tomorrow. It starts at school. Lord, I pray that they would truly desire to, to do what you have for them. And Lord, thank you again for teenagers stepping up to the plate. Lord, if this country is going to be anything, it's, it's the next generation that does it. And Lord, thank you for this week and the messages, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God, amen. Amen. Go have a seat. You guys can go back down and have a seat. I am all done. I know that they're going to give some announcements. I do want to mention, young people, I just got to tell you something. I will leave here extremely encouraged by the way you received the word. And I want to say this. I know this may even sound a little funny. Maybe you've never heard this before. But I, I mean this. Number one, I agree with the four prayers that were just prayed. Did you guys agree with those four prayers? And, and I know you go like, wait, you don't say a prayer is good. Well, I'm going to. Those were four extremely good prayers. I'm going to tell you what that encouraged me. Guys, you have some leadership around you that's got a handle on this. Go to them. Seek them. Those four prayers, I could not have written out how to pray for you better than those four men that just prayed. And I told, the Bible says that if you bind it on earth, you're in agreement and you bind it on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. I agree with those four prayers. And I just want to tell you, and I really appreciate what it said at the very end. It starts serving when? When do you start serving the Lord? Now. So guys, you will not do anything greater for God than to walk the aisle tomorrow morning and come forward and grab a hold of pastor's hand or whatever and say, hey, I want to let the church know that I'm going to serve the Lord. I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea where that means I'm going to do or what I'm going to do, but I did. I'm taking a risk. I'm taking responsibility. And you know what? I, I, I want to serve the Lord with all my heart, and I want the church to know it. I got to tell you something. You guys could start a revival in your church tomorrow. With the, you're, well, we're just, you know, we're just junior hires. No, you're saints. You're children of God. And it's probably the old generation like mine that needs to see young people on fire for God. And uh, I just uh, preached one of the people prayed that they said, you know, we, we, we say, where are they? Here they are. And it would be good for your church to say, here they are. That'll serve the Lord. Thank you so yeah. much. Doc, really fast while you're here. Dr. Shetler has spoken a truth i've never heard anybody in ministry speak it so clear can you just really quickly okay talk to them in 60 seconds two oh, minutes what? spiritual 
decisions versus spiritual discipline. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Now, yeah. how many yeah. have ever been at a camp environment like this, like most of you kind of did, whether it was just now or earlier this week, this weekend? You made a spiritual decision because you feel God spoke to your heart about something. And you made a decision. Raise your hand. Yeah. And then, like, you go home from camp. And you get back going to school and normal grind and your annoying brother and sister is like there. And like, like, I mean, just like you lose it so quick. Right. And you're like, man, you know, I'm discouraged because I can't, you know, those decisions I made at camp and now I'm back home and I, I lose that decision. Then sometimes you come back to camp and you're like, I'm never going to make a decision ever at camp again. Okay. Can you well, just know, like, you know what? You just keep taking it. Okay. You very good. It. All right. You got it. You got it, man. You this is all it. Dr. Shetler, okay? No, it's not. So spiritual decisions are made at camp because Amen. when God speaks to your heart, it's obedience. But the spiritual disciplines are what's going to carry that forward because it's not always hunky-dory. You act like I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I was. Okay, it's, it, you know, it's, it, it happens at camp and it's a mountaintop, but then you go home. But don't think that the decision at camp wasn't important. Because it was obedience. But you have got to stay on the altar. And through that surrender and through that daily grind, that transformation, that God allows you to live it out and to mature and to grow. Okay? When I tell my boys to clean their room, and they they have to often, how many of you have a messy room? Okay. You should go home and now and clean it, right? That's what you should, Okay. That's another good spiritual decision. Okay. So when I tell my boys to clean their room, can you imagine one of them saying to me, Dad? I am not cleaning my room because last time I cleaned my room, a week later it was messy. So I'm never going to clean it ever again. Would that, how, how do you think that would fly? No. I'm going to say clean your room. Ready? And keep it clean. And, and if it messes up, again, just clean it again. Okay. Sometimes in Christian life's that way. You make these awesome decisions and you get right, you get surrendered, you get back on track. But just keep – remember that when you go home to stay – Stay clean, stay maintained, stay at it. If you get off, just get back on track, okay? Youth pastors have been sponsored there for a long way. So, Dr. Shutter, thanks again for the challenge. It's wonderful to see the, all of them up here and all the prayers. It was great. Okay, um, Andrew's going to come. Go ahead and make your way up. Um, we're going to kind of